Well, today, I want to talk about transformation. Now, transformation, when you think about that, it's a very hopeful thing, isn't it? When you think about transforming your life, it's generally positive. Alright, you talk about transforming your home, remodeling your home, it's a good thing. Right, and even when you think about yourself, hopefully you are transformed at some point in time, right? It's a positive thing. It's a moving forward. It's an adding more and more. You know, it's something new. And, um, you know, one of my favorite shows, I, you know, if we're going to go there. <laughs> yes, we are. It's Transformers. I just, you know, I had to. Because I'm up here and you're there. So I can. Transformers. You know, it, this was one of my favorite shows growing up. You know, robots in disguise, right? The, uh, no? Yes, okay, thank you. I just want to make sure you guys are all with me. Maybe I was the only 80s, 90s kid out there. But, you know, robots in disguise. Man, I had all the toys. I mean, this is back in the day when I was, like, spoiled. And so, my parents... It was back in the day, yes. It has since changed. Um... Man, I had all the toys. I had the real um, Optimus Prime. The one with, I mean, it was sweet. Sweet, I wish I still had it. It would have been worth a lot of money. Uh, right about it all. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Um, but, you know, it was so cool to be able to play with those things. Because they start out, you know, those of you that don't know, right? It's like a truck or like a car. And then it turns into this incredible, sweet, cool robot. And you're just like, not only is it a car, that's pretty cool right there. But then it turns into this robot that goes and fights evil and saves the world. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. But, you know, as Christians, we are transformed into the image of Christ. Second yeah. Corinthians chapter 3 talks about that, that it is a continual process. That us as Christians, we are being transformed into Christ. Now, of course, that, like I said earlier, that's a positive thing, isn't it? Yeah. That we are being transformed, changed, that was my transformative voice, into Christ. No, we are being changed into the likeness of Him. But today, what I wanted to talk about was, how does that happen? If it is a continual process, it has to be more than just our baptism. It has to be more than just that moment, doesn't it? If it's a continual process, how does that happen? That's what we really wanted to talk about um, today. So let's go ahead and turn our Bibles over to Genesis chapter 46. Now we're going to take a look at Jacob. We're going to be wrapping up actually, here you go, Genesis next week. I know, it seems just like yesterday. We had started it and now we're coming to the end. And so today we're going to be able to look at Jacob... We're going to see a transformation. We're going to be able to see who Jacob was as the deceiver to who he is now. You know, is that he becomes, he shifts over, he transforms from the um, deceiver to now the father of Israel. The father of the nation of Israel, literally taking on the name Israel. We're going to see a transformation today as we read Genesis chapter 46. Let's go ahead and start in verse 1. You know, it says, So Israel set out with all that was his, 
And when he reached um, Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to God of his father, Isaac. And we'll stop right there. You know, um, Alex last week spoke about how Joseph, um, Jacob's son, you know, who uh, earlier was sold into um, slavery, has through a bunch of different various times and um, events, has made his way up in power to be the second in uh, command of um, Egypt. Now, there's a great famine in the land, and Egypt, through God, has, you know, really blessed Joseph to be able to see that, hey, this is coming. So Joseph has been able to basically stockpile all this grain. But everywhere else, there's famine, including in the promised land, including in Canaan, where Jacob was. So we see that Pharaoh gets word of Joseph's family. And so he says, hey, Joseph, bring your whole family here. Bring your whole family here. Bring your brothers, your sisters, all their kids, all the grandkids, and bring your father here to Egypt. And we see that Jacob gets word of this. And of course, you know, he's like, I'm going. And we see that he gets all that he has and starts on his way. And let's um, continue on. Verse 2, it says, And God spoke to Israel in a vision. At, the, at, at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he said. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be um, afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back um, again. And Joseph's own hands will close your eyes. Then Jacob left um, Beersheba and Israel's sons, And Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives and their carts uh, that Pharaoh had sent to transport them. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and their possessions they had um, acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and his grandsons and his daughters and his granddaughters, all of his um, offspring. Stop right there. So we see here that Jacob, of course, he hears the news that there is plenty in Egypt. And what does he do? He grabs everything, all that he has, and he readies his people. But right before he gets up and goes, he goes to God. He consults God. He literally goes to the very edge of Canaan, the very edge of the promised land, right before he's about to step out. And he says, you know what? I got to check with God first. I got to make sure that this is God's will. Because previously, God had promised to me and to my forefathers that we will be here in Canaan. But now I'm getting called out of the land of Canaan. It seems a bit odd. But let me go to God. Let me offer a sacrifice to him. And let me figure out if this is what I want. um, What is best. And when we see that God comes to him in um, in a vision. I absolutely love the fact that God says, do not fear. He can see how Jacob is wrestling with this. That Jacob is trying to figure out, you know, God, I've... I've gone out before, and that didn't work out so well. Now I'm being called out again, and God says, you know what? Don't fear. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go with you. So we see here that he takes all his family. And the next couple of verses, you know, it lists off every single one of his people. 66 in all. And of course, they bring everything with them, loaded up on these cards. You think your moves are crazy. 
Can you imagine that, man? It's just loading up. Everyone's like, all right, pack it all up. We're going to Egypt. And we're like, okay, no one leave anybody behind. Come on, Johnny. He's back there, you know, straggling. And they're like, everybody in the car. And they're like, we're going to Egypt. You know, we see here a different man. We see here, Jacob is a man transformed. We see here, we, a man transformed by grace. That's my title for today is Transformed by Grace. You know, Jacob himself was not um, uh, an example, as we have read and as we have, you know, as even, you know, I have preached about that. You would want to look at and say, hey, that's the guy I want to model my life after. I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily want that when it comes to Jacob. We see that he cheated his brother twice. You know, going off and doing whatever he felt was best. He was favoritism with his kids. He even wrestles with God. And I don't know, sometimes we can view that as a positive thing. I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily see that as a positive. He's literally wrestling Stopping God and saying, no, you're going to do this and forcing him to do something. He's exercising his will. Um, will. And of course, God allows him to live through that, of course. This is who Jacob is. He disobeyed God, wandered away from God for decades. But yet God is still with him. He's had some difficulties in his life, but God is still with him. That's right. But here we see that Jacob is a different man. When he's called, this time he goes to God humbly. He listens to God. And he's content in whatever God asks him to do. For all intents and purposes, you know, for Jacob, you know, um, for him to leave the promised land does not make sense. This is an incredible step of faith for Jacob. It doesn't make any sense for him to go. But yet he listens to God. He goes to God and asks Him, I want to make sure that I have your blessing. We see here a great transformation. And clearly as we read through the passages, it's not because Jacob is so awesome. We see this transformation is purely because of God's grace. We see that here, Jacob is transformed by grace. You know, in, uh, in order for that transformation to even happen... Jacob's view of God and of grace needed to change. It needed to be realigned um, with God's view of grace. So let's flip back actually to Genesis chapter 28. And we'll be able to see how Jacob viewed grace. You know, it's so vital that we understand what grace is, that we deepen our understanding for it to, in, in order for it to penetrate who we are. The more we study out grace, the better picture that we have. And the better that we can um, allow it to actually work and to transform our lives. So here in um, chapter 28, and in verse 20, this is right after he had fled from his brother, um, Esau, after cheating him out of everything. And he's on the run. And God comes to him. And this is what Jacob says to God after God says, hey, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take care of you. This is what, how Jacob um, responds to God. In verse 20, it says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, 
I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I re, uh, excuse me, return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. What we see here is we see a, that Jacob has a, um, content, a conditional view yeah. of grace. Yeah. It's really a twisted view of how him and God are going to work together. It's about God, if you bless me, if you take care of me, then you will be my God. And if you give me everything, if you take care of me, then I'll give you back one-tenth of all that I had. Funny enough, he never does it. He never gives God. God never calls him out on it. Which is strange in itself, right? Here he is committing himself to God, and God's like, I won't hold you to that one. You know, this is one of the first instances of the battle between grace and works. You know, this isn't just with us today. You know, as we look at Jesus and we look at what he's offering us through the death on the cross and the grace that is um, extended to us. And we try to figure out way through those waters of how does grace work, but then how does, how do works play into that? How does my response to that grace play into that? Where do I fit? You know, but this was a struggle for Jacob, just as it's a struggle for us. Now, as we read the parable of the narrow door in Luke, you guys don't have to turn there. You know, it says in chapter 13, verse 24, it says, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, which would be heaven, because many will try to enter it and will not be able to. So you read a verse like that straight out of Jesus' mouth and you say, well, clearly Jesus is saying that we've got to make every effort. That we need to have works. So Jesus, I don't understand. If you're, if you're all about grace and we look through the Bible and we say clearly it's the um, overarching theme, how does that fit into that? You know, a while back I was invited to uh, speak at this school. Uh, it was a Christian school. Um, every once in a while I get uh, invited to go kind of do chapel at these schools and I get to preach to a bunch of um, high schoolers and it's, it's a lot of fun and uh, I chose this passage to preach on and I went hard I'm like if you invited me perhaps you will never invite me again after this I'm like I'm just gonna go hard on this one and so I preached it like you gotta make every effort you gotta do it you gotta be all out there you know this is literally like wrestling until the point where bloodshed man this is making every effort right and you know like the teens were soaking it up they're like yeah yeah but then I got this email afterwards from the headmaster at, um, at the school. He said, you know what? I really didn't like what you preached. Wow. You know what? Because we're saved by grace, not by works. He's like, and you didn't, you didn't talk about that. And I was like, well, you're so wrong. You're just, and I like wrote it back. I did. And I was like, hey, I, um, you know, appreciate what you're saying, but clearly it's, you know, it's about works. You got to, Jesus talks about earning your way into heaven. And he wrote back, and then we wrote back a couple of times, and it was, you know, a couple, um, you know, um, exchanges of friendly emails. And 
But then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, he's right. I didn't talk about the grace side of this. There is a balance. Both of them do live together. Yeah. And it was, it was, I mean, honestly, um, convicting for me. No, how do these two live together? On one side over here, we got works. This side over here, we got grace. And, you know, for a lot of us, we're running back and forth. Grace, okay, now I'm over here with works. I got to, like, make my way into heaven. Okay, back over here, that's getting really, 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 really hard. So I'm going for grace right now. We're like, well, where do you fit? Where do I stand in between those two? You know, grace is freely given, but yet we're called to make every effort. Yeah. Where do we stand? We see here with Jacob that he is that same battle. One side that God is willing to give him everything. But on the other side, Jacob's saying, but I got to work for this. And you got to live up to your condition in order for me to live up to mine. Let's go to um, um, Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, we'll start in verse 4. But of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by the grace that we have been saved. And we're like, yes, grace, we have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages He might show His incomparable riches of His grace. They're like, yes, I'm loving that. Yeah. Expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved. You're like, yep, I'm still loving it. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. You're like, yep. I am horrible. He's awesome. I get it. It's the gift of God. You're like, yes, I'm loving it. Not by works. You're like, it says it again, Jeff. What are you talking about? So that no one can boast. But here's the kicker. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God pre uh, prepared for us in uh, advance to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for a lot of... A lot of times we view the common argument would be you've got to make every effort to make it in, right? That somehow grace is earned. Somehow you will make your way into heaven by the sweat of your brow. But then the other side of the argument, as we discuss, is, hey, I'm not saved by works, but by grace. You know, grace is free. It's kind of like a credit card. I can just keep using it over and over again, racking it up. You know, just sitting and saying, hey, I'm covered by grace. But there are problems with both of that. And it meets in the middle here. We are saved by grace yeah. to do works. Yeah. That's where the middle lies. That we are saved by grace. It is nothing that you've done. But yet we're saved by grace to do works. Yeah. It wasn't for nothing. It wasn't because you were so awesome that God's like, hey, here it is. I'm going to give you some grace. Yep, been watching you. 
we've been saved by grace to do good works. To do what God would want us to do. Not to sin more, not to work off your sin. It's given so that you can do great works for Him. Now, um, imagine here for a moment that you had this long lost uncle that you never knew about. Somewhere down the line, you know, things got shady and you never knew about this uncle. Uh, this uncle passes away and, you know, he says, hey, you're my last living relative. I have my lawyer. He hunted you down. And, you know, and then the lawyer comes to you and says, hey, your long lost uncle, whom you never knew, has given you his house. And you're just like, man, that's pretty sweet. I like houses, especially free ones. That's amazing. Right, and you roll up to this house, and this is no ordinary house. This is like a um, Outer Banks, you know, three-story, you know, 15 bedrooms. They have a, um, um, you know, fish tank in like the walls. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You know, rec room, movie theater downstairs, you know, with like the leather couches that like, you know, recline back. And then you're just loving it. You're like, oh my gosh, all this is for me? You know, and the lawyer hands you the key and he says, here you go. Everything's covered. Everything's paid for. He didn't want you to have to worry about any of it. You know, and then a friend calls you up. Or maybe you see your friend in need. And you're living in this house. And this house is absolutely more than you ever could use or need. Yeah. And you see your friend. Right? And how are you feeling when you see him suffering? Perhaps... He lost his job and is unable to pay his rent. So, of course, you feel like, hey, I got this huge house. Come on in here. Yeah. Come on in here. And the flip side of that is imagine you receive this house and you decide, you know what? Eh, I don't really like that kind of style. I'm just going to let it rot. I'm going to let it fall um, apart. I'm not going to take care of it. I'm just going to, you know, kind of live in it and just kind of use it up. Wow. Uh, this is a great um, example of what grace is. That we're given this incredible gift, but yet there are expectations right. that you do something with it. Yeah. That you don't let it just sit there and rot and be wasted. Yeah. But in fact, that you live a life wow. pleasing to God. No, but once our understanding of grace is lined up with God, it should transform us and continue to transform who we are. As we see here with Jacob, there's a radical change in who he is. And we need to look at our life. There's no radical change. If there's no continual radical change, then maybe we don't understand what grace is. If there's not a radical change in who you are, it's not a noticeable difference. then maybe you don't understand what grace is. You've got to ask yourself the question, are you more like Christ today than you were one year ago? Is there still a change happening? Is your life just a complete mess, but yet you claim to be a Christian? I've got to say, maybe you don't understand what grace is. There should be change. Grace does not stand by itself. There's a transformation. Yeah. It transforms who you are. Yeah. Now you think about the power of God. This is the same God that has created the universe from nothing. Yeah. This is the same God that raised Jesus from the dead. 
and yet His power doesn't transform you? His grace doesn't transform you? How does that work? Maybe you don't understand what grace really is. Now what can hinder our, our, our transformation is, is that, honestly, that we're just not really Christians. That we're a Christian title um, alone. That we have not actually changed and um, repented and become baptized in Christ. There is no actual change because we're not truly a disciple of Christ. And the Bible gives clear um, instruction. But too many of us are too proud or too busy even to read it to know what it takes to actually receive that grace. But then on the other side of that, it says as a Christian, as a baptized Christian, is that we're stuck in the trap of earning our way into heaven. I'm not just talking about check the box of Christianity here. You know, this is a Christian that is in a constant cycle of sin and guilt, sin and guilt, sin and guilt. And I know I've spoke about this, you know, before, even in my own life. That, you know, 10 years ago, I just hit the wall when it comes to this cycle of sin and guilt. That, you know, in my battle with my own personal purity, that I had gotten to a point where my wife was fed up with me. I said, hey, I'm out of here. And I remember looking at her saying, you know what? I can't change. This is, this is just who I am. She looked at me and she's like, I don't understand that. If you're a disciple of Christ, why can't you change? Why can't grace actually transform who you are? And as a disciple, as a Christian, if you're stuck in your sin, maybe you don't understand what grace really is. That it should transform you. Because the thing is, what I've seen time and time um, again in my own life and in others, is that we don't understand who we are. Yeah. It's not that you have to work to become holy. You don't have to work to become humble. You don't have to work to become pure. You already are. Mm-hmm. But here's the kicker. You just got to act like it. <laughs> you already are that image of Christ. You already are holy as Jesus himself. But sometimes we don't see it because we don't have a full understanding of what grace is. That Satan has somehow uh, entangled you, twisted your thinking. You think that somehow you're going to have to earn it. You're going to have to break through. You're going to have to work at this to the point where it's all on you. What God says is you already are. A simple tweak of our thinking can change the way we view sin and grace in our own lives. The crazy thing is, is that for Jacob, nothing has changed in chapter 46 from chapter 28 between him and God. Nothing has changed. And he just started to live like he was under the promise of God. He just started to live like he was under the grace of God. That he was marked and chosen and sealed by God. So what about you this morning, church? Are you transformed by grace? Can you honestly say today that you are noticeably and fundamentally different than who you were? We've got to start to see who and what we are in the eyes of God. 
You know, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that we are chosen, we are holy, we are blameless, we are loved, we are sons and daughters with all the rights that come along with that. We are pleasing to Him. We are redeemed, forgiven, and has set this, this has been set in motion from the very beginning of time. That is who you are. We just got to start living like it, church. Jacob's biggest issue was that he didn't see who he actually was. You know, as we see here with Jacob in chapter 46, he starts to see his need for God. The transformation, when he's transformed by grace, he sees his need for God. And goes to God. His, he is all in with God. He stops going on his own power. He stops going with his own decisions. But instead, looks to God. You know, church... If we're going to go be transformed by grace, we can't do it on our own strength. Yeah. Amen. We've got to rely. We've got to see our need for God. You know, secondly, that we see with Jacob is that there's 100% um, oh, uh, um, obedience. Yeah. That Jacob, when he is told by God to you know, take everything, what does he do? He takes everything. Yeah. His whole family, all 66 of them. I'm sure some of them did not want to go. <laughs> They're like, hey, Jacob, we've been walking around for a while. <laughs> I'm finally set up here. I got, you know, the little um, lakeside view in my, um, in my tent. I'm loving this here. I don't want to go to, you know, um, Egypt with you. You go. I'll stay here. Why don't you write me, you know, send me a um, um, postcard from Egypt, pyramids and all. We'll go do it. They weren't around yet. But you know what I mean? Just yeah. a little history lesson. Just ignore that part. Um, but, you know, thirdly here we see that Jacob, he has a godly perspective. On life. When he is transformed by grace, his um, perspective of who he is completely changes. That he is just a piece in God's plan. That everything else in his life is meaningless. His um, security and comfort, it doesn't matter anymore. That the only thing that he is striving for is to please his Father. Now, are we transformed by grace? Or has grace just become a tagline for our Christianity? Now let's continue on. Let's go back to chapter 46 of Genesis there. And we'll wrap things up here. I think too often... You know, we're not too familiar. We're not too comfortable with grace. And I'll be honest with you, even in writing this lesson, I was like, man, this is kind of different for me. This is a, this is a stretch. We want to talk about sin and, you know, changing and following God. I'm like, I'm right there. It takes me just a short amount of time to be able to write that lesson. I'm like, I'm going to bring it. But then when it's talking about grace, I'm like, yeah, I don't know about grace so much. I like it. That sounds good. But if you tell me to preach a lesson on grace, that's, you know, going to do something for me. I'm like, that's a little bit more work. But church, I think we got to um, expand our view of what grace is to really um, allow it to transform who we are. In chapter 46, in verse 26, you know, after they, um, this is after Jacob had gathered all his family, all his people, he starts heading out for Egypt. And it says in verse 26, all those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were in his direct descendants, not kind of sons and the wives, number 66 persons. 
With the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family, which went to Egypt, was 70 in all. Now Jacob sent Judah uh, ahead of him to Joseph to get um, directions to Goshen. He wanted to make sure he was going in the right direction, right? He's like, hey, I'm not wandering anymore. I got, I got a place to go. I want to make sure I actually make it. When they, P.S., that's good for men, right? When they um, arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph um, appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and they wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, now I am ready to die since I have seen for myself that you are still um, alive. This is one of the most moving scenes in the Bible, right? Where we have Jacob who, you know, for the longest time has thought his son was dead for decades. You see, Joseph can hardly wait to see his father. He readies his chariot. And you can imagine, you know, this is not just a normal chariot. This is not just a normal guy coming. This is second in command. Imagine just the grandeur of him running towards his father. And Jacob just standing there like, this is my son. I haven't seen in years. Not only is it my son, but look at the man he has become. And now he is here as the Savior. Not only to my people but to all those um, around him. We see that, you know, they um, embrace. It says that Joseph wept for a long time. But then in verse 30, we start to see that Jacob's attitude on life starts to change a little bit here. He says, now I'm ready to die. He says, hey, this is amazing. This is as good as it gets. I don't need anything else. I don't need anything. God has blessed me with everything I need. Let's continue reading here. Let's uh, go to chapter 47. You know, in chapter 47, we see that Jacob meets Pharaoh. This is the conversation that Jacob is going to have with Pharaoh here. In verse 7 it says, Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in the present and presented him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed him. Um, excuse me. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and Pharaoh went... Um, went out from their presence. Now Jacob has had a hard life. As he says here. He's tired. He keeps talking and thinking about death. And this idea of pilgrimage that he uses. This is not a pleasant journey. This is a hard journey in life. And he's just like I've been through it. I've wandered around. I've gone and I've seen and it's been difficult. This is kind of the mindset that he has. And as we see here that Joseph and Jacob, they asked for the best land. They asked for Goshen later on. In. Now, Goshen is probably the most fertile land there in uh, Egypt. This is like the president coming to you and saying, hey, I'll give you any land you want. And you say, I want New York City. And you're like, wow, that's pretty bold. <laughs> You want New York City, huh? Where the most money's at, best, you know, the property's worth the most amount of money. That's what Joseph and Jacob asked for. They say, hey, Pharaoh, if you're going to give us something, give us the best. Wow. And of course, they get it. 
They get the best of all the land. Something which they did not earn, but were given. We see that God continues to bless Jacob. He's given him his youngest son, his favorite son. He's given him the best land. He's feeding and providing for his whole family. Now, throughout Jacob's life, all Jacob wanted was to be blessed. To the point where he was willing to steal the birthright, the blessing. He wanted a wife and a family, land of his own, a home. That's all he wanted. And he fought for it for 130 years, scheming and deceiving, but yet never receives it. Never actually enjoyed what he felt was rightfully his. But the last 17 years of his life, he was blessed. The only difference was that he allowed himself to be transformed by grace. So what about you? Have you been fighting God's grace? Fighting for your own blessing? Fighting for what you see as um, fulfillment? We see here with Jacob that he thought he was getting what he wanted. But the fact that God was ready and willing to give him everything that he ever needed. Church, we, we have to fight to really understand grace. We have to fight to be transformed by grace. You know, if you're out here visiting and you're not a baptized um, disciple of Christ, you're still fighting off grace. How's that working out for you? God right now has given you an incredible um, opportunity for you to be transformed by grace. I want to ask you to talk to the person that has um, invited you out. I want you to just open that Bible and be able to look at who God is and to look at His plan for you and how you too can be transformed by grace. Because your journey is hard. And God has blessings waiting for you. Amen. You know, I love that God hasn't changed. Yeah. From Old Testament to New Testament. From Jacob to now to for you and me, in fact, God has upped it a little bit here by giving you and us Jesus. The grace has been risen even more. That grace is now guaranteed by His blood. But we still have the same choice as Jacob. To fight grace or to be transformed by it. So church, let us be transformed by grace. Thank you. Amen.